0: My name is Tucker Johnson and you are experiencing NIMSY Live and I will be your host today. Let me see if I can, I'm having audio problems here. I'm going to cut that audio. All right, let's try this again. Hello, my name is Tucker Johnson and I am your host today as we experience NIMSY Live where we talk about the latest and greatest in translation, localization, internationalization, culturalization, and all of that fun stuff. global companies need to delight their international customers or at least not to piss them off too much on this program we invite guests who like to have fun and have some value to add for our audience of globalization professionals I'm always eager to provide a platform to those with a good story or a good data set so let us know if there are any topics you'd like covered or guests we should reach out to for future episodes if you aren't already subscribed to nimzi now's your chance if you're watching this and you hit that subscribe or follow button whatever platform you're logging in from then you will be one of the first people to be informed when we have new live streams or we publish new research from nimzi insights a quick plug for some upcoming events we have one event uh, we have a couple we have a bunch of events but not all of them are published yet but keep an eye on limsy's linkedin page and you will see that on march 29th wednesday march 29th we're going to be talking with eventbrite's veronica dimartino about language inclusivity and accessibility and we're kind of kicking off into uh uh diversity, equity, and inclusion kick here. we got a number of good guests lined up for you. Um, And if you're subscribed to NMZ Insights, then you will be notified when those go live and when you can sign up for those. Quick introduction to the platform for those of you that haven't joined us before. Uh, We're doing this as a host, or we're hosting this on LinkedIn events, and if you're joining us live, then welcome. You can take advantage of the comments section, and we'll bring your comments, questions up on screen. We can answer those live. If you're watching the recording, as many of you do, then you should know that we also will archive these recordings on NIMSY's YouTube channel, which you can also go subscribe to if anything comes up during the presentation and the stream gets cut on linkedin for whatever reason just hop on over to our youtube channel and it's still going strong usually over there without further ado i'm going to introduce today's topic and guest today we're going to be talking about the 2023 web globalization report card and this is from Byte level research we're going to hear why websites like wikipedia airbnb and bosch have made it to the top of the annual ranking of the best global websites we will also be discussing the latest language trends and global navigation best practices the discussion features the recently published 2023 report card and we're going to have an engaging conversation with john yunker co-founder of Byte level research who i will introduce now john yunker is the Co-founder of Byte Level Research, you can find that at www.bytelevel.com, and he is considered one of the world's experts in web globalization. Since 2000, he has worked with the world's leading global brands to provide web globalization training and consulting services. He pioneered best practices in global navigation and is the author of the books, The Art of the Global Gateway and Think Outside the Country. He is also widely known for the Landmark Report, which we are discussing today, the Web Globalization Report Card. John, welcome back to NIMSY Live.
1: Well, Dr. Thank you, thanks so much for having me.
0: Yeah, thank you for coming on. I, I, we were just saying 10 minutes ago, I haven't seen you for a year since <laughs> since you published the 2022 report card. And that was a really yeah. interesting conversation we had back then.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I'm a year older and uh, a few months wiser. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Sounds about right. I can yeah. relate to that. Well, let's dive right in. I don't want to take it for granted that people know exactly what is uh, the, the Web Globalization Report card, because not everybody's a fanboy that waits for it to come out every year so I can get to talk to you on the show. Um, maybe you can start off and give us a quick intro. What is the report all about?
1: Well, the report is, is a benchmarking of the websites of many of the world's leading global brands, and it's it's an old report in the sense that I first started it back in two thousand and three, and at the time, as as you 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 know Tucker, web globalization was a relatively uh, novel practice. Mm. There weren't many companies doing it, right. and I was doing it uh, as part of. Uh, localization. And there weren't really any best practices that I could see uh, that I could see when I did my internet searching and whatnot. And so that report card came out of that. When I went independent as a researcher, I thought, well, gosh, wouldn't it be great if there were something very simple, like a report card, right? And you you pull together these, these brands, these websites, look at what they're doing. Well, not so well, talk to the people who manage these websites, find out what's working, what's not working. So it's both a reflection of the state of the Internet, but it's also a very uh, opinionated report Okay. because I'm trying to push companies forward so that, for example... Or you're trying to raise the bar. I'm trying to raise the bar. Right. And and one of the four metrics, of course, is, is global reach, which is languages. And if you want a perfect score of 25 points in that one area, you've got to support 50 or more languages. And as we know, very few websites support 50 or more languages. So it's opinionated in that respect, saying... You know, if you want to be global, you've got to really be global. And it's not just 10 languages and you're global. It's you've got to really try to speak to the world and to get to that 50 language uh, baseline. So that's one of the four metrics in the, in the
0: report. Well, let, let's, let's go there. You started, started us yeah. down that, that path with the four metrics. Uh, the first mm-hmm. one is global reach, which is a fancy way of saying how many languages. Are you mm-hmm. localizing? Then we got global mm-hmm. navigation, global mobile Correct. architecture, and mm-hmm. localization and social. Can we talk a little mm-hmm. bit about each one of those?
1: Yeah. So global navigation is is an area that that often gets overlooked, and it's it's an area that I've put a lot of effort into because it's kind of the low hanging fruit. Uh, it's an area that. It's a front door to your website, so you create a a localized website, you invest all this money, and then you discover six months later that not a lot of people are visiting the website, and you wonder why. Maybe it's global navigation, maybe you haven't provided a really uh, holistic uh, language language agnostic uh, uh, strategy to, to okay. directing users to all of these localized websites you've, recre- you've seen. And in fact, if you look at the, the poster behind me, it's a map I designed many years ago that displays country codes, country codes of the world. And that is one of the techniques that companies utilize to provide front doors, local front doors to their, to their many websites. And there's, there's components to, to global navigation, but that's just one of, one of many. You
0: brought up yeah. maps. I'm going to come back to that. We'll put a pin yeah. in that. I'll let you get through. Put a pin in that. I'll yeah, yeah. put a pin in. Maps and flags. I always Ma- want to hear oh. your rant about maps and flags.
1: Don't get me started. On because flags. people need
0: to hear it. People need to hear yeah. about flags. Still. But anyways, we'll, we'll get to that.
1: So global navigation. Yes. Yes, architecture. Uh, and then, and then you you mentioned international internationalization and localization. so yep. the the other two metrics fall into those two camps. So internationalization is your global template, your architecture, developing, designing a website, an app to scale. Uh, and if you do that well, then the localization aspect becomes a lot easier down the road, and that's the the true never-ending journey of of the content, which includes social content, uh, you know, machine translation uh, and all, of, all that that entails as well. Uh, and, and keep in mind, the, the report card is really customer facing. So I'm not focused on the customer doesn't care, you know, how you're organized, what tools you're using, the I customer care. just cares if they want to find their content, they want to buy a product, they want to uh, get support for something and they, they can live in any country, speak any language, and your job is to get them where they want to go and help them accomplish their task as quickly and as seamlessly as possible
0: yeah and and people are spoiled these days if they need three seconds to figure out how to navigate your web three seconds is an eternity when browsing the web especially on mobile. absolutely
1: right yeah and that and performance actually take that into account in in terms of architecture actually weigh websites Uh, a lot of people think uh perform you know Performance gets talked a lot it's like the weather everyone talks about it but not not no one seems to do anything about it because websites every year get heavier and heavier and when you think globally yep. you you're, you have to think about slower networks yep. older devices yep. uh and you know the companies that really understand that you know the, the, the you know the Facebooks of the world that's why you'll see more uh they'll develop uh parallel lightweight mobile apps mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. for India for example so there's a whole nother avenue to that, but I do look at weight and that actually figures into the scoring methodology.
0: And how does does this overlap um, or how do you see this overlapping with you know, buzzwords like accessibility and inclusivity these days? Is there an inclusivity component to this as far as making your websites um, from an architectural standpoint accessible?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Because you you, you know, at a, a basic level, you know, one of the early best practices in this field was don't embed text within images mm. because that gets locked. You can't access that. And that's going to have carry over uh, into accessibility as well. So really developing a, a sound text based uh, architecture, uh, really separating text from code, all text, that's metadata as well as your, as your, your, your text so that you can More easily enable an accessible website. Now, it doesn't uh, accessibility was not is not in scope of the report card, but inclusivity is just a recurring. You know, it's it's a buzzword these days. It's a buzzword,
0: but but we've been doing it.
1: We've been yeah, this entire field exactly based on
0: inclusivity. Exactly,
1: it's about showing respect for your customers around the world, no matter what language they speak, uh, and and that's what we're all about. And I've you know. I've always said, you, you, when you talk to a, a U.S.-based multinational, they don't spend a lot of time uh, arguing over the ROI of an English-language website. It's assumed, but boy, they will—they will wrestle you to the mat over the ROI of, uh, of <laughs> Vietnamese based website Mm -hmm. uh and i'm not dismissing roi i think it's valuable but it's there is a bias there an inherent bias that we in this field are always working against and and fighting against
0: well and much like any bias or most biases out there it's born out of non-malicious ignorance i would say Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And it's just ignorance because like, Oh, well, can't you just Google translate the websites, you know? And yeah, yeah. You chuckle. I chuckle, yeah, yeah. but that's a perfectly logical question yeah. to ask for most people mm-hmm. out there. So Absolutely. social, how does social play into the report card?
1: <clears throat> social plays into it, um, as a way of, of an unlocking and, um, creating and fostering fresher content, if you will. And fostering communities at, at the local level, um, you know, I'm a big fan. If you can leverage social networks in the markets, um, but what and, and many companies do that, but then they, what they don't is do what they don't do is connect the dots. So they don't embed, for example, if they support Twitter or or Instagram or whatnot, they don't really connect the dots on their local local localized websites. Um, and the problem there is. Um, the localized websites often tend to look pretty stale. Sometimes they don't invest a lot there. Right. Um, so if you if all you do it if you've got if you've got some thought leaders on Twitter in your company, Deloitte, uh, KPM, Deloitte does this, and and professional service companies have done generally a pretty good job of this because they're all about content and thought leadership. And so you go to their localized websites in Spain, for for example, and you'll often see uh some of their uh their consultants um you'll see links to their social feeds some embedded content it just it creates more personable fresher um and it and it allows you know visitors to connect with the local experts and so if you can leverage that um i really recommend you do that
0: all right so now we know how how the report card is graded Mm -hmm. who is graded what kind of companies (laughs) or do you feature in this? And, you know, looking at your website, once again, everybody is bitelevel.com. You list a ton, a yeah, ton of companies. Here.
1: There's 150 and I, I've capped it at 150 and 80% of those also overlap with the interbrand best global brand. So I, I do I do want to include the, the, you know, the most widely recognized brands around the world. But I also want to include a diversity of of industry sectors. So you you're 12 industries, if you will, that are shown through there. So it's not just B2C, it's B2B. Um, it skews a little heavily more towards travel, definitely, and and you know, uh, pure tech companies. But I, I wanted one of the goals here is to break companies out of their silos executives that manage uh, websites within a particular industry and and look across the industries because as you mentioned earlier uh, you know that three three second threshold you know we if you if you're developing a website uh, and you're just focused on your nearest term competitors you have to think about who's doing the best job period. Yep. Of yep. developing, of delivering a user experience. So you've got to be aware of what Amazon's doing, what Google's doing, what are some of these companies that are really about scale and 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 localization and 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 being aware that that's your competition, even if they're not in your industry. So yeah. that's why I look at the diversity of industries.
0: Well, we get we get kind of, as consultants here at NIMSI and as a consultant, I'm sure you get this a lot too. Where uh, a company will want us to audit their localization and provide some benchmarking data, and they say we want to we want to benchmark our localization processes against our comp- competition. Ah. And my question is always, well, wh- who cares? Uh, like, best practices are best practices. Like, who cares <laughs> what your competition is doing? Let's benchmark <laughs> your localization processes against the best localization processes yeah. in the yeah. world out there, sure. right? It right. it doesn't matter, as you said, the end user doesn't care. They don't care, right? No. And so yeah. you mentioned we mentioned a couple in the in the intro, a couple companies, and I don't right. want to, you know, if hey guys, if you want the report, go pay for it. It's on the website. But um, can you give us any sneak peeks, some like wh- some of the companies that are really doing things right out there that made the the top yeah the list. well I, and
1: i i have a blog post as well the industry leaders within each of those 12 industries because th- some of these folks are not in the top 25 the top 25 you know wikipedia is number one um sure you know for a lot of reasons which should be I'm, obvious to anyone who I, uses wikipedia i'm guessing I'm
0: a, the mormons are probably on there somewhere they're, the they're, they're in the
1: top top here linguistically they are definitely um but Airbnb has done well, you know, oh, here we go. Here are the industries. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so let's look down the list because one thing I think is relevant is uh, some industries are just not as sophisticated uh, from a globalization perspective as others, say luxury. Mm. So Cartier is number one in that category, but it's not in the top 25. Oh, okay. So if, Car- if Cartier were to say, I'm going to develop the best website I'm only look at my competitors, that's fine. But you still only support... I think they support fewer than ten languages. Their, their the websites in luxury are, tend to be horribly overweight. Navigation is often a sore spot in in luxury websites because they just they don't really put much investment in that. Uh, but if you look at say travel and hospitality, Airbnb bubbles up, not just within that sector, but I think it's number three overall. And and they, you know, for them, of course, it's all about scale. They yeah. support over 60 languages. They are really pioneering customer, consumer-facing machine translation. They're, they're doing
0: amazing stuff over there. Yeah. I mean, just think yeah. of not yeah. only the amount of content, but the yeah. amount of what's essentially user-generated contents, right? Yes. Because yeah. hosts will have their property descriptions and stuff, and they have to machine translation translate. Mm-hmm all of that. And by golly, it's working for them.
1: Yeah. And the key, I think the key with, well, with translation in general and the machine translation in in particular is managing expectations. And I think if you look at how they do that from a UI perspective, I think they've, they've, you know, most recently they've made some changes and tweaks, uh, but they do a really good job of letting the user know, okay, we're going to be machine translating this, Mm -hmm. you know, so you know what you're getting into. And I'm sure there's a, I'm sure there's a legal element to that as well. But um, so the user stays in control of his or her experience. Okay. But okay. what you're not doing is saying, I'm not going to let you have access to this content because it's not in your language or because it hasn't been professionally translated right. yet. Um, giving so them options. It, it, you're unlocking, you're giving, the control is in the user's hands um, and they know what they're getting into once they say, yeah, show me the machine translated content. So it's a good way to both unlock content, but not over promise on the quality of that content.
0: <laughs> right, you're gonna hedge your bets a little bit. Yeah. right. Well, how have you, has this come up at all in the years that you've been doing this? Because, how do I phrase this? How have user expectations shifted over the years? Because by my estimations, it seems not only is machine translation, for example, getting better, but user, users' expectations, like users' tolerance for machine translated content is actually getting better too. Mm-hmm. I think as a society, we're more trained to accept lower production value, lower um, whatever it may be, lower mm-hmm. um, quality of machine translation. And it's just kind of becoming normalized in people's mm-hmm. expectations. Have you come across anything like that in your research with shifting user I- expectations? I-
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I would, I, yes, I have seen that. Um, And, and the only, the only, you know, caveat is when the dollar comes out of the wallet, at which point that's where, that's where the the rubber hits the road for some consumers. Um, But you're right. I think in generally we, we are uh, through social networks, Providing you know on-demand machine translation through you know what Airbnb is doing, we are getting spoiled. And so then what happens is when I when I have talked to companies, I, I say, look, you support 12 languages, but do you do you know how many people are machine translating your website already? Huh. And into what languages? So maybe you need to get ahead of that instead of letting you know having some more control of the narrative, more control of the experience. Because Airbnb is in its own way getting ahead of that. They're they're saying, we know machine translation can offer value but let's control that and, and optimize it versus letting someone just you know do it ad hoc and and hope for the best and um,
0: well, but but no I would agree you, with you as you say and i steal yeah. this and i use this all the time but it's totally yeah. your line if you don't translate your website somebody else will exactly right that's right and yeah. then you lose control over it yeah and i've heard interesting case studies from clients that we work with at NIMSI where they get stuck with terminology that they don't like because their content was being translated in a certain market before they translated it. So now it's like they're forced to use this terminology because if they use their own terminology, then nobody's going to understand what they're talking about.
1: (laughs) That's a great point. That is a great point. No, you're absolutely right. Um, it is the, the genie is out of the bottle, so to speak. And it's, um you do have to i think companies need to embrace a a degree of chaos and and it was much harder to make that case five years ago but Mm. now well you know with ai you know we've been living with ai to a degree for many years and now the world in general is is getting Uh, just just
0: like with any technology it exists for a while and then it becomes publicly accessible right right so now we're kind of in that phase with chat gpt and i promised myself i wasn't gonna turn the conversation to ChatGPT because yeah. every conversation goes towards ChatGPT, it seems like, these right. days. Right. But it's we're in the era where AI is just becoming more and more accessible to people. Yeah. Like, I can mm-hmm. use it. A schmuck like me can use it. You don't need to have a PhD in programming in order mm-hmm. to implement it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, for the... We are talking about... The websites that are doing really good, and we're not going to name any names here, but I thought it would be interesting. I'm sure you have some horror stories to tell. Like some, what are what are some big faux pas that people, the company, should not be doing, and they still are in 2023.
1: Well, you, you alluded to it earlier, flags.
0: Flags. All right. Let's talk about flags. Why, why are flags, first of all, why, in what context for those in the audience? <laughs> flags that may
1: not be... uh, specifically for navigation. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, Apple, you know, I, I had been hammering against Apple for 10 years to drop flags because the reason why is is for years – I would consult and I'd say you really should drop flags from your global gateway menu. Um, and they say, well, Apple's doing it. So it must yeah. be the best way to go. A
0: lot of companies oh. have that answer for a lot yeah. of different questions. Yeah. I, I've heard, right. well, we just do what Apple does.
1: Right.
0: Like they're kind of a bellwether for every other yeah. people follow them. So.
1: So, yeah, two years ago, Apple dropped flags. finally. OK, um, thankfully, and that's made my life. I've slept a lot easier, um, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, flags you know flags are are risky from a variety of reasons obviously geopolitical reasons sure um if if you're curious you could go to paypal case in point they use flags still and if you go to their global gateway menu you will see a missing flag for a um, a region um, or country based on what part of the world you are from uh, for Taiwan so they will not use the flag for Taiwan and it's really really noticeably absent on their website um, and in my argument th- that's just one reason um, but
0: yeah you can get in you, trouble for which flags you are using and you can get you can trouble. get in
1: trouble with flags that you're using or not using or incorrectly using okay so here's PayPal uh, let's go to Asia oh, we're,
0: we're taking you to task wait PayPal's not an empty client I don't think so I think we're good <laughs> i think we're good
1: <laughs> okay okay uh so we scroll down here and let's look for taiwan and what do we see we see a globe.
0: taiwan we see a it's globe a
1: noticeably yeah missing, but, you know and there's so, no
0: something's not like or one thing here's not like yeah. the others right?
1: Yeah. and also also there are no flags for Regions. A lot of companies have regional websites. So when they have a, uh, and Apple was an example of this, they had a, a Latin American regional website. So they didn't have a flag for the region, so they just put in a some sort of widget. I forget what they used exactly, but it's not the most scalable. Um, there are geopolitical issues, and geo, and and you know your global gateway is not where you want to wade into geopolitical issues. There's no reason for it. Um, why, why pick on that headache? That's not your, why
0: pick, why pick that battle? There's not much. This is just
1: about, yeah, this is just about navigation. This is about getting your, this is an interstitial. This is just a sign that the user hits on the way to somewhere else. Um, So you want to make their journey as painless as possible. And when you splash all those flags, it's just a lot of the same colors. They're not, the usability is, is inversely relational relational to the number of flags you display and and I've I've seen research according to that fact, but um, so having said that, um, flags can I have seen them more successfully used within say e-commerce uh, circumstances. So on on a header in a website that that tells you you're at the right place. Okay. you know a banking website for example where security and trust are really really important the user wants to know they're on the right country website mm-hmm. i can see the value for a flag there at the header but that's not navigational that's providing a slightly different uh, usage uh, scenario right. so if you can avoid flags and, um i think you will you'll generally be in in good
0: hands am i am i correct that i heard but i didn't actually like read, read anything about it. Cause I'm lazy, but isn't Unicode even stopping because the, not stopping the current flags, but they're not taking submissions for new flags to be added.
1: I did not know. You that haven't heard that. that. All right.
0: Well, no, audience don't. in chat, maybe one of you guys knows about it. Yeah. I'd be, I'd
1: love to learn. Speaking
0: yeah. of which we've got, uh, let's see here. Uh, Jeff Allen is asking John Yunker. Okay. you mentioned Twitter as a social approach. I'm the owner of the Twitter tile in one of our corporate content dissemination apps yeah. slash sites. So we recently had to temporarily deprecate that tile that I carefully designed wow. to pull in dynamic content from various related industries.
1: Yeah. The Twitter API issue. So,
0: you know, what's is, going on here?
1: I'm yeah. I Twitter's know. monetizing their API. So they're, they have shut down their API. Damn you. Elon. <laughs> got, got to pay the bill, you know, they, they're having <laughs> that, trouble
0: covering that $8 a month isn't cutting it, I guess. <laughs>
1: Yeah, um, so that's a good point. So yeah, once they turn off the API spigot, you need to pivot. And is there a better way to embed a Twitter feed? Um, you know, there, I'm thinking aloud here, you know, maybe you can scrape it, pull it, and then, and then there, there's going to be a little bit of manual work, perhaps. Uh, unless you can pull and cache that API and then use it that way. But I, I guess if they're shutting the API down to get altogether, maybe Twitter's not going to work as well. Or what? whoever's creating that content in Twitter, can you give them a, a door into an embedded spot on the website? Mm. So you do need to, you're right, you need to be nimble with, you know, API strategies in general. There's always potential points of failure if the, if the door gets closed. And, and Twitter is absolutely a wild card these days. Yeah.
0: Well, and it's the problem with any integrations with your website yeah. is it, all it takes is one update, right? If I have everything integrated, one update from one yeah. of those companies and everything breaks and yeah. it's just constant, yeah. constant maintenance. Right? Yeah. Um, you mentioned, one thing I want to go back to the, the languages you said, you know, 48, 50 languages is kind of where you'd like to see companies offering on their mm-hmm. websites. Does it matter which languages like do you, John Juncker, have a list of languages that you can say these are the languages you need to go into? How, how do companies go about choosing which markets they want to represent in their language offering?
1: Oh, boy. Uh, yeah, you know, that that's a great question. I you know, you don't want to just add languages for the sake of adding languages um, necessarily. Um, When companies go about this, there's a mix of of processes. You know, it can be driven by your business goals. It can be driven by where your customers are at. Um, It can be driven by where you want to go. But uh, I will say speaking, you know, speaking of languages, there's actually this, I don't know if I mentioned this, but this is the first year when the average number of languages actually dropped slightly i've done this 19 this is the 19th report so every year it's been just a slow but steady uptick in in aggregate so if you look at all of the websites and you count all the languages every year it would go up a little bit and so last year we were right around 34 languages and that's across all 150 websites okay this year we hit we dropped the first time it's dropped to an average of 33 languages why
0: is the obvious well, I mean, I know it's not your yeah. fault, but no. No. why would you? Why do you speculate that's happening?
1: The a, a definite, definite. The one biggest factor would be Russia, the pullback. Okay, okay so roughly oh. a dozen to two. Do, I think between a dozen and twenty websites that I track for have dropped Russian, or they've completely pulled out of Russia altogether. So, and this has been. It started, you know, in last year's report card, you could see it a little bit. But in the in the in the past twelve months, they've uh, definitely pulled back. But that alone is was not enough to to impact the average uh, to the extent that it was. So it was Russia was the biggest component. You know, I hate to use this word deglobalization, but there there is a little bit of that going on. And I would argue it's like, more not to
0: the extent, not to like the panic inducing extent no. that the talking heads on TV want you to believe. No, 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 but. Yeah, it's a factor,
1: it's, right? It's, it's and it's and it's it's the econo- it's the economy, and so you know with layoffs and so forth, the collo- low teams take a larger chunk of the have taken a larger chunk of the blow in many companies, um, and I would argue, and I've argued in the report card that one of the reasons is a lot of localized websites are not really have not really been deployed and maintained to the level that they needed to be so that they couldn't be cut, you know, they weren't valuable. Right. And so in some cases I call them local facades, you know, they would launch it to check a box, say we launched a website for Bulgaria, done, let's move on to something else. But they never paid attention to that market. The website.
0: I've seen like local websites that are, they're not websites. It's it's a landing page,
1: right? Yeah, exactly.
0: It's like one page that's, doesn't look anywhere as nice as the website. Half the links are broken. And the other half go back to English sites, English pages. <laughs> right. I've, I've
1: seen those so there's, too. There, there's an absolute re- reset with it going on in, in a number of companies mm. and it's not bad. Um, it's, it could be quite healthy. And I, I don't think we're going to see it. I, I wouldn't be surprised if next year is flat given where yep. we're at right now, but um, you know, companies need to, you know, need to do a better job of managing their their goals with these with these sites. They a lot of times they have no expectations, or they have unrealistically high expectations, yeah. which of course becomes a self fulfilling prophecy because you you if you have an unrealistic, unrealistically high expectation for this site, a year passes, it hasn't achieved the goals, you pull the plug, um, and then it's it's a, a tragedy on multiple levels because. I have seen companies and I won't name them who have pulled localized websites for markets and then a year passes and they go back into that market all over again. Yeah. And so then they, you know, start from scratch or from scratch. Yeah. Exactly. What
0: about languages? Um, you know, languages, you know, we're always talking about French, Italian, German, Spanish, you know, mm-hmm. the figs mm-hmm. languages. The fig, right. Uh, what about, you know, Arabic, Hindi, Vietnamese, like mm-hmm. these longer tail languages, or more complex languages, like bidirectional yes. languages, right? Oftentimes, yeah. there's a disproportionate amount of investment required to go into Arabic or Hebrew, mm-hmm. for example, mm-hmm. because it requires restructuring. Um, mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on those languages?
1: Well, I, I, I love Arabic. I took took I took an Arabic class years ago. I I, I love the bidire, bidirectional scripts in general. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but they are more complicated to support sure. uh, technically, and uh, and it's more expensive usually to to translate and support. Um, but they there some of these, uh, you know, not top ten languages. Uh, Vietnamese, in particular, has actually seen significant growth over the past two years. Okay. Um, and in India, that's. <laughs> There's a India, lot of official languages. What are it, like 44
0: right? or something? There's a lot of Someone's going to correct languages. me in chat. But yeah, there's a lot. Yeah,
1: yeah. and we, it, sadly, um, it's still under 10%. So report card, what I do in the report card is I look at not just the number of languages, I actually look at the languages supported by each website. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so if we look at Hindi, for example, that's I think around 9 or 10% support. So okay. it's really low still. Uh, Amazon, you know, amped up the investment slightly over the past two years. A lot of other companies are still just clinging to the dream that they can do English only and that'll, that'll get them where they want to go. Um,
0: and why, why know. is that wrong? Cause I've heard that so much. I'd like someone who knows what they're talking about. Like you to comment on that. Why is it wrong to say, well, India is an English speaking market. I don't, you know, you know, all of these other languages are a nice to have. I'm playing devil's well, advocate here
1: yeah no i know it's i just i you know it you can make i can see the case kirti Vashi's
0: kirti's Vashi's calling us out says you are wrong about india and hindi all right tell us why we're wrong kirti yeah hindi is spoken by at least 500 million people oh he's saying i'm wrong of course i'm wrong i'm playing devil's advocate
1: here right yeah i mean um the B two B companies that go into India India make you know I, they make p- potentially a more compelling case, but if you're a B two C company, you're right. Yeah, um, Th- that's the it's difference. Ins- it's insulting. Right? It's insulting, you know. But you know, one of the reasons companies do avoid it is is because it's almost like the paradox of choice. They go, okay, now if I they're they're worried if I pick three languages in India, then then I piss off all these other language speakers that I, other languages that I'm not supporting. So is it eight languages? Is it three? Is it eight? Is it 10 or is it 12? I, so I think that kind of scares them. Yeah, and, and I, and I can see that, um, but
0: I was it, just having this conversation. We were doing a readout. Yeah. We're doing a user experience study for, for a client of ours and looking mm-hmm. at Switzerland and we're talking about Swiss German. Which is like a specific dialect, but then each town has their own dialect, right? So we're looking at this different feedback, and obviously I'm not going to name the company, but looking at this different feedback, and the feedback is, oh, we wish we could have it more adapted into our local dialect, right? And Mm -hmm. it becomes well which dialects right and someone made the comments the client made the comment It's like well better to discriminate equally <laughs> against everybody rather than because you, you risk you know alienating people so yeah. in, in india if i go into these three languages maybe yeah. the thought process is well am i alienating the rest let's see what Karaji yeah. has to say i'm always surprised how little the language landscape is understood by experts if you want to get local you need at least five languages other than english here 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 yeah keep preaching it uh
1: you know you you know kirti's blog right okay everyone
0: knows kirti's blog i'll give you a plug
1: there kirti um well universal spanish or universal english to that point goes to that you know that idea that you can create this one language that works everywhere um but you know if you look at uh uh you're you're starting you're, you're now seeing companies that, that may have started that way and then they get into uh variations of english obviously you know it, it, 10 years ago on the report card it was u.s english pretty much everywhere hmm. uh, and i would consult and i'd say well what about British English or, you know, um, oh, no, 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 we don't need to do that. Well, it's amazing now. That's it UK British English is at 80% now uh, in the report. Okay. So eight out of 10. So it didn't used to be that it was like two out of 10 websites. So that, you know, there, there is a balance, but um, I'm not quite seeing the same uh, trends yet on Spanish. Um, we're seeing, it, of course, with Google and, you know. The large tech companies but not at, uh you know at a, what i when i consult with companies sometimes i'll say just do just get started just you know you start with universal spanish and then go to
0: the just next go you know, just right? Go. Yeah. and yeah. yeah the don't let the paradox i i guess that would be the advice to people don't let right. paradox of choice keep you right. from making any
1: choice yeah like, and know the and know the risks you're facing and as you noted in your your the intro to this is be sensitive to not pissing people off you know, you have to really be aware of that. But if, if you know the risks going in, you can you can manage that, I think. Yeah.
0: Well, you've been doing this, oh, Kirti, digital presence and language need to be covered for India. I would say Hindi, Tamil, Bengali, right. Marathi, yeah. Telugu uh, yeah. should be the main ones. Eminent did a report. Indeed. Yeah, I have the, the Imminent report behind me. I should plug that. Yeah. Um, but anyways, moving on from India. Thank yeah. you so much, Kirti, for, for all of that. John, you've been doing this report for, gosh, you said since 2000? No. You said
1: 2003.
0: 2003. Still, yeah. that is 20 years, hmm. right? Yeah. What are the latest? And I, we probably hit on this. But in 2023, what are the trends? Not so much that are noticeable today. But what's mm-hmm. your speculation about what's the next big thing? for web i remember a year two years ago like metaverse 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 right everyone facebook right. changed their name to meta yeah see you yeah. have the same reaction as me which is the eye roll right yeah. Yeah. and i think you know metaverse is coming i don't think we're ready for it yet right yeah. i think it was yeah. the right thing at the wrong time mm-hmm. um but when we're talking about metaverse we're talking about ChatGPT. We're talking about five G. All of these things that are influencing the mm. way we consume content online.
1: Mm.
0: What are your thoughts on what's the next big thing coming down the line that we need to be aware of?
1: Well, I, I, you know, AI is is kind of hard to ignore. You sure. know, but I think the the big thing isn't so much the the language engines. It's how do websites manage that? Hmm. You know, manage that on a consumer facing. You know, we're using it already on the back end, but right uh, consumer facing yeah. uh, there's a lot of potential there. And, you know, we're seeing some signs of how it can be done through Airbnb. Um, so many other companies. So I'm, I'm still I, I know why some have, have been hesitant and reluctant, and there's some industry sectors that are going to be the last to use it and, and may never use it. A regulated industry, you know, uh, medical device manufacturer, for example, could be very right. reluctant right. and understandably so. But um, I think that is definitely key. Um, also, the the multilingual user experience. You know, we talk a lot about the, you know, what... Uh, Many people speak multiple languages, to Gertie's point, and how do you manage that? How do you capture multiple language settings and then elegantly have fallbacks, you know, and we're we're seeing that, you know, we see that with the socials they've done, uh, they've tried to capture that because, of course, they can sell ads against multiple languages, so they want to capture your multiple language preferences, Um, you know, the internet uh, has had that uh, built in through language negotiation or our browser, we can have fallbacks built in through our browser. Um, but a lot of companies, you know, they're still a long way from getting to managing that. But they, they that to me is going to be a big, a big thing as well, because this idea that everyone fits in one language silo is, is you know, in the U S for example, you know, between Spanish and English is, is, not necessarily applicable you know you can't make assumptions that they want maybe they want spanish for for these websites english for these websites or spanish for these experiences english for these experiences uh what what i look at a lot is is netflix and how they're managing languages and how we as consumers or, you know, we're, we're suddenly hit, we have access to all of this content now in all these different languages. Um, well, and it, that it, is collectively changed. changing us.
0: It's changing yeah. us. It's changing yeah. per- global, per- or at least in the U S it's changing global yeah. perceptions. Yeah. I mean, I shouldn't speak for all of my people, but mm-hmm. in America, it's like 10 years ago, even I would say watching foreign movies, like you were considered like a film snob that you know what i'm saying like no one like watched foreign movies unless you like identified as that type of person who watches foreign movies right Right. and nowadays with netflix it's opening us up to this idea that i mean look at all the good stuff coming out of south korea for crying out loud right and it's opening us up to this idea that oh there's awesome creators, I would say even better creators than what's coming out of the traditional places, you know, Hollywood, Nollywood, Bollywood. And it's really opening, opening people's minds to that idea of having foreign, foreign experiences. Yeah. I would say Experiences. I,
1: I, and I, your point, we, we are going to, the whole world is changing and that, that's what I get really excited about this field and what we do. Um, and what the, you know, what, what, uh, all the technology can do, you know, in terms of opening minds and unlocking content and unlocking culture that, you know, like you said, 10 years ago, I wouldn't have seen half of the entertainment I've seen in the past year on Netflix. So it's exciting.
0: Well, let's, before I uh, start wrapping it up here with my final questions, let's just check in on on Kirti over here, who is our third guest, it seems for the day. Uh, digital presence and language need to be covered for India would say, okay, we said that the next step beyond content, would it not be communication, real time communication, more UGC and video, uh, user generated content and video in many languages. Yeah, here, here, because I think these are kind of some of the things that have been cost prohibitive, um, user generated content is a big one. And this takes us to the, the Airbnb case, for example, but. Yeah being it because user generated content isn't cost effective to send through traditional workflows, traditional localization workflows. So this is where technology is coming in saying not so much. I mean, these are things video as well, real time communication as well. These are all things we've had solutions for real time communication for thousands of years. It's called interpretation, right? (laughs) Right. What's changing is nowadays technology is making it cost effective to be able to provide these services. Hmm. So thank you, Kurti. Um Final question, a little bit of a self-serving question or a shameless plug for you. Where can I find, where can people listening to this, the recording, find the the, the report card? Uh,
1: yeah, it's at uh, bytelevel.com, B-Y-T-E level.com. And then the, my blog, which I pull, and we'll continue to pull research from the report is globalbydesign.com.
0: So byte level, globalbydesign.com. There you have it guys. Anything I forgot to ask you, John, as we're wrapping up here.
1: No, I, I think you, I think you did, you, uh, you covered flags. I'm glad I got that in.
0: Okay. Well, we'll complain more about flags next year when, when we're talking about the 2024 report card, let's see if my music works. Now if I fix that. Ladies, gentlemen, we are out of time for today. Thank you all for joining me on this episode of NIMSI Live. If you enjoyed us, or if you enjoyed this NIMSI Live experience, then you can join us next time on March 29th when we're talking with Veronica DiMartino from Eventbrite about language inclusivity and accessibility. If you're not already signed up, head on over to our LinkedIn page and you can sign up right there. I appreciate our guest today, John Juncker. I appreciate my colleagues here at NIMSI Insights doing all of the hard work so I can have these fun conversations. I appreciate everybody in our industry who fills out NIMSI surveys and schedules briefings with our analysts so we can include all of you in our public or uh, published industry research. And lastly, I appreciate you, the audience, who are joining us live today, or if you're watching the recording. All of the dialogue and chat, and everybody who left comments and questions, and I look forward to next time. Have a great day.
1: Thank you. Okay, okay. Okay. Thanks. Thanks, Tucker. Take care.